It's been a crazy year, hasn't it? How many of us would have expected when this new year came in, January 2020, that all the things that have happened would have taken place and taken place so rapidly? Our world, our communities, the way we do life, the way we do business has totally changed. We believe like never before that we're living in the end times and people are experiencing fear and anxiety and they need hope and they need the gospel and they need to hear the three angels message. The time is urgent. It's an urgent call for us to share the everlasting gospel that Revelation 14 talks about. But if you're like me, you may struggle with that a little bit. Me, share the gospel. Me, share the three angels' message. Me, call people to come to Jesus. Isn't that something that pastors do, evangelists do? I am just an ordinary person. How do I do that? Or you may be sitting there and thinking, well, you don't know me. I have blown it too many times. I have failed and messed up. I have promised God and not shown up. I am just not good enough to be able to share the gospel, to be able to play a part in this great adventure, this great battle that's going on. I I don't have what it takes to fight for other people or to share the urgent call. I'm pretty sure that Peter felt that way too. And he is who we're going to look at today. When he first met Jesus, he was a rough, redneck fisherman. You know, he was working night shift in his world. Fishermen were not considered high-class society. He was uneducated. He smelled of fish and water, dirt and grime. We read in Luke chapter 4, that Jesus, after he's finished the synagogue, he came to Peter's house and healed Peter's mother-in-law. In the next chapter, in chapter 5, we learn that Jesus came down to the docks as morning was rising, as the fishermen were coming in after a night of catching nothing. And Jesus wanted to use their boats. And after what he'd done for Peter's mother-in-law, I'm sure that Peter was willing to do whatever to help this, this rabbi, this teacher, be able to share his words and his message. And as these fishermen clean their nets, they listen to Jesus teach. There was something about his teaching, something powerful, something different than what they were hearing in the synagogue. And something inside Peter was stirring, you know, just listening to him and having seen this miracle of his mother-in-law. And when Jesus finished preaching, he said to the fishermen, go out in the deep and cast your nets. Now, I am not a fisherman, um, so I don't know anything about fishing, but I've been told that, you know, the best fishing for them was at night, not in the deep, not that. And I know from a practical sense that they've just cleaned their nets and they've just spent a night of fishing and catching nothing. And this rabbi, this teacher that has nothing to do with fishing, as far as they know, he's a carpenter and not a fisherman, tells them something to do that sounds really crazy. I'm not sure that I would have done it, but there's something about Jesus, something different about him. And so Peter shrugs his shoulders, gets back in the boat, gathers up these clean nets, goes out, casts the net, 
And suddenly there are more fish than his boat can hold. His boat starts sinking and they have to call to another boat to come over and help him. And they, they barely get the boats back with all this fish. And Peter recognizes that he is standing on holy ground, that there's something about Jesus. And he goes to him and he falls at his feet and he says, depart from me, for I am an evil man. I am a sinful man. Peter recognizes that he just doesn't have what it takes. He is not enough to even be in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, do not be afraid. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And there is something about his invitation that causes Peter to walk away from what is probably the best fish catch of his life and follow Jesus. And for the next three years, he is following Jesus. He is seeing miracle after miracle. The healing of his mother-in-law was nothing compared to the healing of Lazarus, of, of the blind man, of the lame man, of the lepers. The teaching that he heard that day was just the beginning of the teaching that he would hear. The miracles that he would be part of. You know, he walked on water. He was on the mountaintop when Jesus was transfigured. The things that he experienced. And suddenly we pick up his story three years later. At what is the end of his journey with Jesus on this earth in a physical sense. But Peter doesn't know that yet. They are in the upper room. And they have just had what we call the Last Supper, but Peter and the disciples didn't know that. They thought that they were just preparing for the Passover. They didn't realize the magnitude of what was going on. And so turn in your Bibles if you have your Bibles with me or pick up your devices and, and turn with me to Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31. Luke chapter 22, beginning in 30, verse 31. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Jesus and the disciples, remember, are sitting around the table when Jesus suddenly addresses Simon Peter. And he says to Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he, Peter, said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Well, let's unpack this a little bit. First, let's look at what Peter said. When Jesus says, you are going to, um, you're going to fail me, he says, let's, let's unpack what Jesus said first. He says, I have prayed for you. The enemy has asked to sift you as wheat. You know, this is kind of reminiscent of Job's story where the enemy comes and he talks to God and he wants to sift Job and test him and see what he's made of. And now we see this in Peter's story that, that the enemy is asking for the same thing. Let me test him. Let me show you what he's really made of. Let's see if Peter is really dedicated and committed to you. I don't know, but having two stories like this in the Bible, I can't help but wonder if this is our story too. If the enemy goes to Jesus, goes to God and says, let me sift her, let, let, let me test her and see what she's made of. Is she really committed to you or not? 
Let's prove it here and now on the stage of the earth. And that many times the things that are happening in our lives, the trials and the circumstances and the hard things in our lives are our are opportunities that the enemy is attempting to use to take us out, to cause us to doubt God. See, I believe with all my heart that the great controversy is more than just a book on our shelves. That the great controversy is the life that we're living in this world right now. I think the news shows it day after day, this controversy that we're living in, this battle for good and evil. I believe that the Bible is very clear that we have an enemy and that he has a goal to steal, kill, destroy, and devour. Those are big, hard, powerful words. Steal kill, destroy, devour. The enemy wants to take us out. I believe that there are two ways that the enemy wants to destroy our lives. Number one, he wants to destroy how we see ourselves, that we do not see ourselves as people that can make a difference in this world, that we do not believe that we are who God says we are, forgiven, chosen, righteous, called called to preach the everlasting gospel in our way, in our community, to the people that God puts in our path. I think the other thing that he attempts to steal, kill, destroy, and devour in our lives is our view of God. He doesn't want us to see as a God that can be trusted, a God that, that keeps his promises, maybe for other people, but not for us. He wants to cause us to doubt ourselves and doubt God because he knows what will happen if we don't. He knows what will happen if we can trust that we are who God says we are and that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says that he will do in us and through us, that we will change the world, that we will turn the world upside down, that people will come to know Jesus. They will come and start worshiping in our churches with us, be a part of our small groups with us. It will change lives if we could only believe. And so he asks to tempt us to take us out, to show what we're really made of. And he'd ask for Peter. But notice what Jesus says, I have prayed for you. And we know that Jesus is even right now sitting at the right hand of the Father in the sanctuary, praying for us. You know that we have a high priest that understands what we're going through, been there, done that, been victorious over it. And he prays for us. And he says to Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Not Peter's faith in himself, but Peter's faith in God and Jesus and what he's learned and he's seen over the last three years. And when you have returned to me, and if he's going to return to him, that implies that Peter is going to leave. So Jesus knows that Peter's going to fail this test, that he's going to walk away, that he's going to wander away and struggle and doubt for a little while, but that he will return. And when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. G- Peter, you're going to fail. You're going to walk away. But I'm praying for you. And when you come back, I have a job. I have a purpose for you. But notice what Peter says. He says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Um, huge words, you know, bravo words. I am ready. I will go with you to prison or to death. Did Peter mean them? Absolutely he meant them. He loved Jesus. And with every fiber of his being, he wanted this to be true. Unfortunately, at this part of his life, he's still relying on his own self to make these things happen. I will go with you to prison. I will go with you to death. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. 
Shortly afterwards, they leave the upper room and they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this Peter, who was, I'll go with you to prison or death, can't even keep his eyes open to pray with Jesus, despite Jesus coming several times and saying, can't you stay awake? Please, you've got to pray. We pick up the story in verse 45. When he, Jesus, rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. You see, my friends, prayer is what gives us the strength and the courage to fight the battles that we're in. It gives us what we need in order to be able to be strong when we're tempted to give up, to doubt, to beat ourselves up, to not do what God has called us to. Prayer is what gives us courage and strength. Pray, lest you enter into temptation. Verse 47, and while he was still speaking, he's still uttering these words, so now it's too late. It's too late to pray. While he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him, the disciples, saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? You know, they'd all said with Peter, yes, we'll go with you to prison or death. We've got two swords. Shall we pull the sword? Shall we strike? Shall we protect you? Shall we do defend you? And one of them, and John tells us that it was Peter, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Well, let's just stop here and think about this story. You know, I will go with you to prison or death. The multitude is coming. I'll fight for you. Jesus pulls a sword without even asking, waiting for Jesus to say yes or no. Pulls a sword. And remember, he's a fisherman. He's not a soldier. He's not a fighter. He's a fisherman. And when he swings a sword, he just cuts off the ear. So that's really not a lot of protection. You know, if I wanted someone to protect me, it wouldn't be this way. I wouldn't want somebody that swung a sword and cut off an ear because to me, that's just going to make the person even angrier and come out after us even more so. But let's stop and think about this story. Whose ear did he cut off? The Bible tells us that it was Malchus. It was the servant of the high priest. Did the servant of the high priest like Jesus? No, he didn't. Do you think that if the servant of the high priest could take out Jesus and his disciples both, do you think that he'd want to do that? Especially Peter, because Peter was one of the you know, leaders of the disciples. So if he could take out Jesus and Peter at the same time, don't you think he'd want to do that? I mean, he was already behind what was happening. It was taking out Jesus. Suppose, let's just imagine, let's use some divine imagination here and just imagine that the crowd goes back and they tell the high priest what happened and how one of Jesus' disciples, Peter actually, took a sword and cut off the, the ear of one of his servants. What if the high priest decided to press charges? What if it went to court? Think about it. He could be charged with attempted murder. He could be charged with assault with a deadly weapon. Um, And he goes to court and the prosecuting attorney calls witness after witness. It says that there was a great multitude. So person after person comes and they get on the stand and they say, what did you see that night? Well, I saw that guy right there, you know, the one on the stand. Judge, let it be known that he's identifying, you know, Peter. Uh, That he cut off the ear. He pulled a sword. He cut off the ear. He was angry. He wanted, you know, he wanted to take out the... I'll, I'll, you know, defend Jesus, you know, person after person. He could call the disciples, the other disciples, Peter's friends, put them on the stand. You know, say, this is a hostile witness, but you got to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. What did you see? Well, he did it. 
He could call Peter himself and put Peter on the stand. But Peter, what happened that night? And Peter could admit, I did it. And then the defense attorney stands up. And the defense attorney only calls one witness, Malchus. Malchus comes and he sits in the, in the stand and he, and he says to him, okay, so what happened that night? And you're the person? You're the person everybody's been talking about? And which ear is it? Can you show the judge the ear? Because see, we know the rest of the story. Jesus said, permit even this, and he healed the ear. And we know that when Jesus heals, he heals perfectly. There is no scar. The ear isn't on a little crooked. It probably looks better than the other ear. And so what does the judge have to do? He has to throw out the case because there is no evidence. There's just witness testimony. But there's no evidence of a crime. The ear looks great. I tell you this crazy little story because this too is our story. In Our Higher Calling, page 48, Ellen White writes this, Through the righteousness of Christ, we shall stand before God, pardoned, and as if we had never sinned. As if we had never sinned. We have an enemy who's out to steal, kill, destroy, and a devour. We are told that he is the accuser. He comes to accuse us of all kinds of things. But see, when we confess our sins, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are told in Scripture that Jesus cast our sins as far as the East is from the West, and that God remembers them no more. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We are told that when God looks at us, He sees us through the blood and righteousness of Jesus, as if we have never sinned. On with our story. Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come out to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs when I was with you daily in the temple? You did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Having arrested him, despite the miracle that they just saw, just despite healing Malchus's ear, they arrest him and they led him and brought him to the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Followed at a distance. He had tried to defend Jesus. He had wanted to rescue him. You know, they believed with all their hearts that Jesus was the Messiah come to rescue them from Roman rule and set up his kingdom here on earth. They didn't understand the true purpose of the Messiah and the battle that he was going to win and the freedom that he was going to bring them. They never anticipated that he would be arrested. And so Peter, afraid, confused, not sure what to think, begins to distance himself from Jesus. He wants to know what's going to happen, but he doesn't want to be a part of it. So he follows at a distance. Verse 55. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, remember, this is really super early in the morning, middle of the night. It's cool. It's cold. They create this fire so that they can stay warm. I want you to remember this fire. There are two places in the Gospels where we're told that there was a fire, that there was a uh, and that Peter was around it. And so this is the first time we're going to see the second time. So just 
remember this. And they kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat among them. He wanted to blend in. He didn't want anybody to know who he was. And so he followed John in, but John's paying more attention. He's more engaged. Peter, he doesn't want to. He doesn't know what's going on. He had tried to defend Jesus. Jesus had said, permitting even this. Jesus was arrested. Jesus being led away in chains. Jesus is on the other side of the court heart. And you, you were told in spirit of prophecy that they are accusing him and they're beating him and they're whipping him and they're hurting him. And Peter is sitting on the other side by the fire, trying to blend in, wanting to know what's happening, but not wanting to be a part of it. Suddenly this, I'll go with you to prison or death. He's not so sure anymore. And then people start recognizing him. And a certain servant girl, verse 56, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him, but he denied him saying, woman, I don't know him. And I wonder if there was a part of him as he said those words, I don't know him, began to think to himself, I don't know this Jesus. I know the victorious Jesus. I know the Jesus that turns the tables over in the temple. I know the Jesus that stands up to the scribes and the Pharisees and calls them whitewashed tombs. I don't know this Jesus that's being led away and letting them do these things to him. After a little while, another saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely his fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. John even tells us that one of the people was a relative of Malchus and that he'd been there and seen what happened. And I think that you would remember that if it happened and you saw that going on. Peter said, I do not know what you're saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. What do you think went through Peter's mind when the rooster crowed? I think he immediately remembered Jesus' words. And instantly, reflexively, without even thinking about it, he looks up and across the courtyard, he looks at Jesus. The Bible tells us that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Their eyes meet across this crowded courtyard. Peter is instantly filled with guilt and shame, angry at himself, defeated. (laughs) Just hours earlier, he was committed to following Jesus no matter what happened. And now he wouldn't even admit that he knew him. He was broken inside. And Jesus turns away from his accusers to look at Peter for a second. And in that moment, he wants to convey something to Peter. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of us that are moms, we had a look, didn't we? All we had to do if our kids were misbehaving, we just had to have this one look and look at them. We didn't have to say a word, and they knew. They knew exactly. Did, did you ever have that? You know, did your mom have a look? Did your dad have a look? Were you a parent that you had a look that you could just, you know, look at your kids and they just instantly knew? What kind of look did Jesus want to give Peter? I don't think it was that kind of look. I don't think that Jesus wanted to convey to Peter, I warned you about this. I told you this was going to happen. Peter, when are you ever going to get it right? You blew it. I warned you. If you would just listen to me. No. I don't think that that's what Jesus wanted to convey at all. Doesn't fit his character, does it? I believe in that moment when their eyes met, 
Jesus wanted Peter to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loved him. Peter, I love you. Remember what I said. I'm praying for you. I knew this was going to happen, but I also know you're going to come back. And when you do, I have purpose for you. Strengthen your brethren. They're depending on you. Oh, Peter, I love you, and I have chosen you, and I have called you. And it says, so Peter wept, went out and wept bitterly. Think about the next days. Jesus is crucified, and he is buried in a tomb. The disciples, in fear, have closed themselves in a room. And Peter lives with the agonizing guilt and shame of denying Christ. And every morning, when the rooster crows, Peter is reminded of that moment. Desire of Ages tells us that as Peter and Jesus looked at each other, the men that were accusing Jesus got really angry and slapped him, you know, just beat him right across the face. And it crushed Peter because he realized that Jesus was being punished for him and his sins. And every morning, the enemy reminded Peter through the crowing of the rooster. You know, the enemy is like that. I don't know what it is in your life, but I can pretty much guess assured that there are ways that the enemy daily seeks to remind you that you are not worthy, that you are not enough, that you're a mess and that you blow it, that you're a sinner and that you let Jesus down, that you let God down. Because remember, he wants to steal, kill, destroy, and devour. He does not want you sharing the everlasting gospel. He does not want you taking our great message to the people in your neighborhood, in your office, in your community, in your family. He wants you to feel like a failure, like you can't. And that's how Peter felt. Day after day, even after Jesus was resurrected, even after they had seen him, Peter still wrestled with the guilt and the shame of what he did. Let's turn over to John chapter 21 to finish our story. John chapter 21. Again, continuing to read from the New King James Version. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Here's the story. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I believe that Peter was struggling with the feelings of guilt and shame and have just blown it as a disciples. And many times when we feel like that we've blown it in this area of our life, we go back to what we know. And fishing was what he knew. You know, he knew how to fish. He was a fisherman. And maybe he was beginning to feel like that that's the only thing he could do well. And that maybe instead of being a disciple, that he should go back to being a fisherman, that that was all that he was worthy of doing. And so Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. A pastor that uh, I read wrote these words. There are moments in our lives when we fail so badly. This was one of those moments for Peter. There are moments in our lives when we fail so badly that we feel absolutely unworthy to receive the grace of God. This is one of those moments for Peter. He is devastated. Shame, 
guilt. The enemy is laying it on them. Not worthy. Don't deserve it. Just like the Peter that threw himself at Jesus' feet on that original call, that original miracle. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. That's how he's healing now. Just like he did in the beginning. Depart from me, Jesus. I don't deserve it. The pastor's words go on. And it is those moments of vulnerability that make us or break us spiritually. Either we lock ourselves into a cage of guilt and never come out, or we discover new dimensions of God's grace. Our choice. Do we live in guilt and shame? Or do we discover God's grace in new and life-changing, life-transforming ways? Peter said, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. <laughs> I just joked with a friend this week. They immediately got in the boat. That was something only men can do, right? Because you know, ladies that are, are with me here, we know that we would have had to make a list, pack a lunch, figure out who was going to take care of things for us, how we we're going to do this and that. We couldn't have immediately got in the boat. The guys immediately got in the boat. They went out that night and they caught nothing. I want you to imagine that night, sitting in the silence in the dark on the lake, remembering how many times that they'd been on the lake with Jesus. Can you imagine the conversation that they were having that night, talking to each other? Hey, do you remember? Do you remember the storm? Oh man, you look so scared. You were white. You were so afraid. Well, what about you? You were too. Hey, remember Peter? Remember Peter? You're out there walking the water, huh? And you look around at us like, look, I'm walking the water and down you went. Remember? Remember where I'm over on that shore. And we wanted to just send the people home because we didn't have enough to feed them. And Jesus said, well, what do you have? Remember how he blessed it? Remember how we, we gathered up more than we gave out? Remember over in this village, remember the guy with chains running around the tomb and he'd broken everything and Jesus came and cast out the demons and Remember how transformed he was? Remember this? Wait, wait, remember that? And all night, they shared stories of what Jesus had done, what they had seen. They began to understand even more of what he'd been trying to teach them. And yet, they caught nothing. And when morning had come, think about that. Morning had come. It's beginning to get a little light around the edges of the horizons. But what happens? Roosters begin crowing. Roosters begin crowing in all of the villages all around the water, all around the, the sea. And, and they had to been close in because they were coming back in. And they could hear the roosters. And you know what happens with sound over water? Sound kind of echoes. And so you have these roosters crowing from all around. And Peter is reminded again, just as the enemy wants to remind him, that he is a failure, that he doesn't have what it takes, that he let God down. And now look, he can't even catch a fish. He's a failure as a disciple. He's a failure as a fisherman. He's a complete and utter failure. That's what the enemy wants to do to us. He wants to spiral us down thinking, I've blown it here. Oh, well, I've blown it here too. And here and here until we spiral down until we think that we are good for nothing, capable of never making a difference or an impact. He wants to steal, kill, destroy, and devour us, take out our hearts. And he's doing that with Peter here. But I love what it says. I love words. And verse 4 says, but 
but is that little connecting word that here's what we're saying, but this is the real truth, you know? I'd like to go to lunch with you, but I can't because I have plans. Here's the real truth. And so they spent a night catching nothing, but when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. This to me is one of the most amazing parts of the story, just in kind of a simple way. Remember, this is the risen Savior, and look at what he's done. He's standing on the shore waiting for them. He's got a fire going that is burnt down to coals. That means it's been burning for a little while. That means that Jesus has gone into town. He's gotten wood. He's gotten bread. He's gotten fish. He started a fire, got it down to coals. He's cooking them breakfast. The risen Savior, instead of going to heaven to celebrate his victory, cared more about this ragtag, failure, messy group of men. We're told in, in Spirit of Prophecy that he couldn't go to heaven until he assured them of his love for them. That blows my mind. What an amazing God we have that loves us so deeply and uniquely. And Jesus is standing on the shore and he calls out to them. They don't know that it's him yet. And he calls out to them. Hey, have you caught anything? No, we haven't caught anything. Well, cast your nets on that side of the boat. That's a crazy idea. We haven't caught anything all night. Why would we do that? But they do. And when they do, their net is fairly bursting with fish. And John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, I love that he identifies himself with Jesus' love, realizes that it's Jesus. Why does he realize? Because he was there for that first miracle, fishing all night, catching nothing. Jesus saying, cast your nets, casting the nets, so much fish that it's almost sunk both boats. And now it's being repeated. Do you think this is a coincidence? I don't think so. And that's what makes it even more amazing that Jesus is recreating that original call on Peter's life. He's he's replaying that very same story when he met Peter in the beginning, when Peter felt so worthless, depart from me for I am a sinful man, casting himself at Jesus' feet. No, come and follow me. Don't be afraid. I will make you fishers of men. He's repeating the same call on his life. I called you then. I'm calling you now. John says, it's the Lord. And now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, driving the net with fish. And then as soon as they'd come to land, they saw a fire of coals. Remember, I told you there was two. The last time that Jesus was near a fire of coals, the last time that Peter saw him across from a fire is when their eyes met and Peter had just failed him ultimately. I picture this scene in my mind. I picture Jesus, Peter jumping out of the boat, running in the water, getting up to Jesus, getting on the shore, running right up to Jesus, and then seeing the fire and stopping and remembering, oh, I failed him. I failed you. I failed you big time. And the guilt and the shame. Interesting that the fire has bread and fish, and I know that was their food of the day, and so it's not unusual, but what it makes me think of is the miracles that they had seen twice with bread and fish, when just a little bit fed a multitude. Did Peter wonder, can Jesus take my little bit of faith, my tiny bit? Can he do amazing things through that? 
Can he multiply it like that? Jesus said to them, verse 10, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. Somebody has counted the fish and included it in our story. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Love that it was large fish, no small fish. When Jesus does a miracle, he does a miracle. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Amazing that Jesus cared so much about them that after a night of fishing on a lake, of catching nothing, a risen Savior, creator of the universe, cooks some breakfast and feeds them. My friends, God loves you that much too. He loves you so much that he cares about your needs, whether they seem like big needs or small needs. Whatever is a need in your life, Jesus cares about. We're told that we can bring anything to him in prayer, no matter how big or small, because if we care about it, Jesus cares about it. And Jesus, verse 13, then came and took the bread and gave it to them. Likewise, the fish. It almost sounds like the Last Supper, doesn't it? He took the bread and broke it and gave it to them, took the cup and gave it to them. Are they remembering more stories about Jesus? Are things coming together in their mind and the remembering? Jump down to verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, this is a powerful message in its own, and I just heard someone preach it just last Sabbath. But, but I'm not going to go there in the theological-ness of the words agape and filet and all of that. Powerful story. But what I want you to take away from this is Jesus asks him three times. You see, Jesus is redeeming every element of Peter's story. He's redeeming the fire. The next time that, that Peter is near a fire and he thinks about that moment when he denied Jesus, he'll remember Jesus cooking him breakfast. The next time he hears a rooster crowing in the morning and remembers that fateful morning where he denied Jesus, he'll remember Jesus standing on the shore, calling him home. The next time you know, that he remembers that he denied him three times. He'll also remember that Jesus invited him. Do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Three times he redeems. He repeats the original call. I believe with all my heart that it was kind of like Jesus going, Peter, I knew who you were then when I called you. I know who you are now, and I still call you. I called you then. I call you now. I know everything that happened in between. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Verse 15. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. And Peter has a choice to make at this point. Does he stay locked in that prison of guilt and shame? Or does he step into the new dimensions of God's grace? A number of years ago, I met a young woman. Her name was Shiloh. She was dating my son. As I got to know her, I learned a little bit of her story. Shiloh, who had grown up in a home with an abusive father, verbally and physically, he made sure that Shiloh felt like she wasn't good enough, verbally assaulting her no matter what she did. And so, you know, I've been involved in women's ministries for 30 years now. And so it doesn't surprise me when I learned that when she started a relationship with a gentleman before my son, 
that he too verbally and physically abused her for years. Her parents, her mom and her stepfather prayed, wanted her to come out of that, but she stayed thinking that that's all she deserved. Finally, one day, I don't know what it took. I don't know what made her finally say enough is enough, but she called her mom and her parents, her mom and her stepdad came and rescued her. And they brought her back to their home and they started helping her get her life back together again. You know, the guy had made her drop out of college. They helped her get back into college. They helped her get a car. They helped her to get insurance. And I remember about this time she started dating my son and, and she was looking for a job and she was an Olympic class swimmer, had almost made it to the Olympics and then an injury had kept her out. And there was a job that a swim team needed a coach. And, and I told her, she called me and said, guess what, guess what, I got the job. And I said, I know I've been praying for you. That's so amazing. And she said, I knew you were praying, so I wanted you to know that I got the job. And, you know, I watched her Facebook post. Oh, you know, this guy is amazing. And she talked about my son and the relationship. He, he, I've never been loved like that. You know, all that mushy, gushy stuff that young people put on their Facebook feed and on Instagram. Oh, I've never been loved like this. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, and her parents were so grateful that she'd found a guy that was treating her and them with respect, that was hanging out with them, that instead of trying to pull her away from the family, was becoming a part of their family and, and was just such a well-behaved, you know, because he had a mama that would have just gotten on his case if he hadn't been, you know, and taught him strongly to treat women with respect. And then one day he came to me and said, you know, Mom, can you pray? Shiloh had to leave. She had to go um, out tonight, one of her friends was in a terrible car accident and is in, in the hospital, and she asked, she asked Shiloh to come and be there with her. So can you pray for you know, Shiloh to get there safely and pray for a friend? Yes, absolutely, pray. Love it when my kids ask me to pray for something, even to this day, you know, they call and ask. And so the next morning, got up, Mom, I'm a little worried. You know, she, she said she was going to come back last night, but I've never heard from her or seen her again. I've been texting her. I've been calling her. She's not responding. I, you know, I don't know what happened with her and her friend. I don't know what went on. I, I just can't reach her. And then her mom called Zach and said, have you heard from her? You know, well, this is what she said. She said her friend, and she went to the hospital, and I haven't heard from her since. I can't get a hold of her. Mom and dad couldn't get a hold of her. And so they called a friend. You know where this story is going, don't you? Friend hadn't been in an accident. Friend hadn't talked to Shiloh in weeks. Mom knew who to call next. She called the abusive boyfriend. And that's where Shiloh was. You see, even though Shiloh was being offered this new opportunity to be loved like she'd never been loved before, this new dimension of relationship that was encouraging and, and uh, positive, and not berating and abusive, she didn't feel worthy. And she chose to go back. My son called her. Um, the guy had thrown away his phone, so he called the guy's phone. And he said, Mom, she didn't even sound like herself. The whole time she's just crying, and he's in the background saying, you don't deserve, I knew you'd be back. You don't deserve anything better. I knew you'd be back. This is all that you deserve. And it broke his heart. I continue to pray for her even as I share this story, as he took her off Facebook, caused her to have all loss of contact with her family again. You and I may not have someone abusive in our life that's yelling and screaming and hitting us. And if you do, get help. Tell someone. But most of us don't have that happening in our life, but we have an enemy who is doing that to us, who's verbally assaulting us, telling us that we're not enough, 
that we don't have a, what we don't have what it takes, that we're not worthy, we're too ordinary, we're not smart enough, educated enough, that we have failed too much, that we're too great of a disappointment, that we're not wanted. They are all lies. You and I, like Shiloh and Peter, have a choice to make. Do we believe a God that loves us, that created us, that goes out of his way for us? Or do we believe the enemy that hates us and is out to steal, kill, destroy, and devour us? Who do we choose to believe? The Bible is clear that Peter chose to believe Jesus and follow him. We're told that he turned the world upside down. That people looked at Peter and were amazed because he was an uneducated man saying and doing the things he was doing. My friends, in this moment of Earth's history, you and I, we need to believe and choose like Peter. We need to turn the world upside down with our Adventist message, with the everlasting gospel, with the truth that God loves, that he forgives and that he's calling us home, and that one day very soon, the earth is going to shake, the trumpet's going to sound, and we're going to see Jesus. And I don't know how he's going to do it, but I believe with all my heart in that moment, when each of us looks up, it's going to be like Jesus is looking at each one of us individually saying, I love you. I love you. It's time to come home. I can't wait to see you there. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.